Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. I'm Gumshoe Tom. We are Team Binge, and we are back after a very long or short hiatus, depending on your opinion of us. We are here to talk about True Detective colon Night Country, and this is part one, which is what they're calling episode one. So this is the True Detective multiverse or something like that, kind of like Marvel, but this is they're branching into a lot of different universes, right? I don't know if this is supposed to be in the same universe or if it's just they're using the True Detective name to tell different stories. I feel like Fargo is maybe a shared universe with different stories for each season, but I think this is not necessarily the same universe. I don't think we can run into Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Well, my question is then, it was True Detective season one, two, three. Why does four get its own, uh, I don't know, night country universe? Is this because this is all of the detective stories that are told at night and then all Mm. of those other ones were day country? Uh, Well, the other ones were day city. This is night country. Night country, day city. All right, Mm -hmm. all right. Tom... Let's dive into, oh, and for those of you that are joining us for the first time, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each episode and give our opinions, which matter because we've never made a TV show. We just consume them. (laughs) Uh, We're called Team Binge because we binge them one episode a week, which (laughs) is what binge means. (laughs) And Tom, I'd like to start the conversation by just talking about your history with True Detective in general. Mm -hmm. This is, once again, season four. Did you watch seasons one through three? I've watched them all. I feel like one is the standout, and it's kind of like known as the prestige detective drama. And it was definitely weird, but I thought it was a very, very good, good show, good season. Season two and three, I think, were both good in their own right, but weren't my favorite. Because what, season two was Vince Vaughn, like a casino. Season three was like Mahershala Ali. Um so, and what I think they're doing with this one, I think is kind of more up my alley than, than those other two seasons. How about okay. you? Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I've watched all three of the other seasons. I remember watching season one of True Detective being completely blown away. I watched it uh, probably pirated off a hard drive while we'll just say traveling the world. <laughs> and then when I got back home, I made my spouse watch it and just something about Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey driving around in like rural Louisiana trying to solve a almost supernatural murder and just Mm -hmm. uh, there's something about the way it was shot the dialogue all of those things were outstanding I went and rewatched part of that pilot episode today just to kind of remember the magic and it's just a great just great television Um, And I think part of it's because you have Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. But we love a whodunit. And so this is a show that is right up our alley because you as a gumshoe love solving crimes. Not in real life. In real life, you like just let the criminals, you know, go unsolved. Um, Mm -hmm. But when it comes to TV show. Right. You don't give me clues in real life. (laughs) I would argue some of these uh, murders in TV shows are overly complicated and that real life, it's just, you know. The husband or ex-husband or boyfriend, always. That's fair. (laughs) So we watched the uh, first episode of this season. Did you find yourself comparing this to like, I don't know, season one? 
I feel like it's been so long removed since I've watched the other seasons. I didn't necessarily, but to your point, I feel like I came into this wanting like a gritty kind of slow burner drama with a little bit of supernatural elements. And I think this one is maybe leaning more towards on some horror stuff, like the way it's shot with like, you know, character running across screen or like the music in some of the tones. So I'm kind of digging it so far. Sure. I mean, there was a moment where someone was uh, seizuring and I thought it was going to turn into a zombie movie because we were in (laughs) a facility with a bunch of scientists that I'm assuming Uh they discovered a zombie virus. But yeah, I, I did enjoy this. Let's dive into it, Tom. It's good to revisit True Detective. I just hope that you know, like any of these shows, uh, I hope that it keeps pace and then lands the plane. And mm-hmm. I'm in it for the ride. I enjoy the ride. My only thing I will say from this first episode is I hope that it's not as bleak <laughs> as <laughs> as it's being pitched to me. Because sometimes I just can't, I don't know, the darkness uh, tries to swallow me whole. And sometimes but wasn't that season one? Do. Like season one was incredibly bleak, wasn't it? It was certainly bleak, but there, I don't know that it was, so season one is they're cutting between like, uh, like current time and then back when uh, Woody and Matthew, as I like to call him, were younger. And it wasn't like they were having like the worst life in the world, whereas Mm -hmm. in this one, no one's really living their best life, we'll just say. It's like everyone has shown up in Ennis, Alaska because it's the end of the world and they had nowhere else to go. I don't mm-hmm. know. No one seems like they're having a ton of fun day to day other than that lady that got hammered and blew through that uh, <laughs> intersection. So she seems like she's having a grand old time and everyone knows it. But I don't know. I, I didn't feel like everyone's lives were like falling apart in the young timeline of season one Mm -hmm. in this show and we'll get into it it just seems very very bleak and picking ennis alaska is a great place to tell a (laughs) tell a bleak show but uh, first things first the big name in this show is jodie foster and i think it's important for true detective because like you mentioned the other actors from the other seasons they typically like ride or die on the main actors and actresses that are in it. And mm-hmm. I've, I've got a lot of love for Jodie Foster, so I'm glad she's in this, and she plays a great, like, grizzled police chief, essentially. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's Liz Danners, and then the other... Danvers. 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 Not, <laughs> you want to say Danners, because that's oh. the after party, another oh, show no. we've done. It's oh, so no. close. <laughs> okay, I'm sure that's not the last time I'll make that mistake. And then it seems like the other big name for this is going to be this Callie Reese who plays Evangeline Navarro. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with... Actually, I'm not even going to ask that a question because I looked at her IMDb. I feel like this might be her first or like second acting credit. Yeah, I don't think she has a lot of acting credits. I think her background is like a professional boxer. I think she was literally a world champion in like 2016 from what I looked up. Um, yeah, so she's she's definitely has acted for a while, but I think this is certainly one of her biggest, biggest shows to date. Sure. And then the writer and I mean, there's so many. <laughs> My spouse was like, how many executive producers are on this show? Like if you <laughs> coughed, you were an executive producer. But the show was originally written and created by that Nick Pol- Pizzolatto, which is a combination of pizza and a and a latte <laughs> and a oh. and a coffee. Um, 
I'm sure that joke's going to get me in trouble, but I'm hungry and <laughs> thirsty. Uh, <laughs> and if Tom's joke worked, I want dessert too. So boom, okay. uh, we got them all in. But I don't think he's involved in this. Uh, and so this is instead written and show run by Issa Lopez. Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with her work at all? No, not as much, but I, I did see that she wrote and directed at least this first episode. And from doing a little bit of research, I think she wrote this during like the pandemic in 2020. Uh, she kind of wrote the whole the whole script for this uh, series. Okay, interesting. So we're going to get a different feel. I accept that. I don't need season one, um, but I'm excited to see uh, Jodie Foster. And I'm trying to think what my Jodie Foster like... It's not Silence of the Lamps. I feel like that's where I go to, just her being a detective and trying to solve a, a crime and a murder. Yeah, yeah. Silence of the Lambs would probably be... Oh, is this the same character, you think? This is just older um, cool. Clarice? <laughs> I almost she forgot her, her name. name. moved to Alaska. <laughs> I almost forgot her name, but it's difficult to forget him saying Clarice. So, mm-hmm. all right. Tom, how many times have you been to Alaska? Uh, zero. Wonderful. That was good, good riffing so that I could drink. Um, You've, I've almost cruised, cruised there, but I did not. I think you cruised there, didn't you? I did cruise there, and I also at a separate time went through their airport, and I just remember there was like a big bear in a case in the airport, and I was like, oh, stuck there. Like a live bear? bear? That's cool. No, 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 no. Mm. They had killed it. It was dead. They had <laughs> killed it. Speaking of dead animals, uh, this this show opens... Uh, and it lets us know that it's the last sunset of the year, December 17th, which is like, hey, guess what? This show's going to be dark for the next seven episodes. So mm, get ready, yeah. folks. Uh, this made me think of, because uh, I think they put like how many miles like south or north or whatever it was from like the closest city. And it made me think of the Last of Us scene where they said like 10 miles west of Boston. And it was like totally not the Boston. It was like, the forest. Like, wood and yeah. forest, yeah. They're like 10 miles west of Boston in Wyoming. Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I, uh, that is a funny thought. I think it was like 153 miles from... Ooh, if I said the Arctic Circle, would I be right or would I be completely wrong? I don't know. No way of knowing. I, I just read a book. Bo- I just read a book about a old wooden boat caught in the Arctic Circle, and now I don't know where it is at all. But <laughs> here's—I don't want to dog on the show from the beginning, but I do want to point this out. And as it was happening, I was like, "Come on!" I really am bothered by shows that start with, like, really bad CGI, and it's typically them trying to show animals, and it just takes me out of, it takes me out of the show to a point that I really don't appreciate. You've got this hunter posted up, there's all these caribou, like, we couldn't get some B-roll of caribou running around, I mean, obviously... You're not going to see B-roll of a massive suicide of caribou, which ends up happening in this opening. But there is a show called Joe Pickett, which is about a game warden. I turned it on for about five minutes and the opening is like bad CGI elk. And I was just like, no, I can't. I can't do it. Mm. Once again, this is going to be my only nitpick of this show the entire time (laughs) we talk about it. But I just felt like this is silly because the animals never look real. Tell me I'm wrong, Tom. Tell me I'm being yeah. too particular. 
And I feel like they could have made them a little bit more real. Like once they do those like super close ups or kind of that mid range, like that's where you kind of like that uncanny valley breaks. Like if they're just far away, you can just see them as a group of, of caribou or whatever. Um, but I don't think they committed suicide. I think this might be the story of the first Christmas. And this is how caribou learned how to fly. So that's just my, my oh, going theory. Oh, good point. Good point. There was that one with the red nose that was leading mm-hmm. the group as they mm-hmm. leap, leap, leapt <laughs> off into... All I could think about was Lemmings um, and the yes. video game Lemmings we played as kids that yes. uh, tried to save the animals from killing themselves. That's a bleak <laughs> game to let kids play, huh? Who came up with that one? Oh, it was so much fun. I do want to say up front here. So I I feel like the show does lean very heavy, especially in this first episode about there being like a lot of supernatural elements. And I mean, I don't don't know. We'll we'll kind of talk through it. But I I feel like what the show is kind of trying to do here is maybe they're playing with something like the changing of like Earth's magnetic field, because I do know that that can like change migration patterns for animals. So maybe that's kind of what's causing these guys in the facility to kind of go bonkers or why maybe people are hallucinating certain things and why these animals are, are doing what they're doing. So I want to just kind of say that up front. I think that might be some of the mysticism or mystery kind of going on. I think there would be some science behind it. Well, let me ask you this because in the first season they like lean heavy into it being like a ritualistic killing. There might be some supernatural elements But ultimately, it's just like bad people doing bad things. Mm -hmm. So if we take that theme, to your point, this one's like, uh, there's some like horror elements that are pitched to it. There are obviously, like, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, we're going to get like a one sentence throwaway that explains this mass caribou suicide at some (laughs) point during the season. But it's Mm -hmm. ultimately going to be like human nature being dark and evil that causes all of this right there's not going to be a super element cause i don't know like i mean i think that's a good question right because what we've gotten so far it doesn't seem like there'd be a single like murderer because it's just it's a whole group of people when we see the bodies at the end which we'll get to it's just i mean it's just haunting and i can't imagine somebody like an actual person doing this so i i don't know i feel like so you're open to you are open to this being like a there being a supernatural cause or this like existing in a world that is not necessarily like the rules are not pure reality yeah i don't think it's necessarily supernatural i think there'd be some sort of like scientific explanation especially because they're at like this scientific base and they're doing research for climate science and biology so i think there might be something that they can kind of tie in based on actual science um that is like kind of unexplainable science or doesn't make sense to people um, and that's why they like hallucinate or they make up kind of what's happening but okay again, i just want to so- kind of say that out front i'm open i'm open to all ideas oh sure 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 of course i'm not trying to paint you into a corner here but it sounds like <laughs> you we feel like this show is going to like pitch it like there's still supernatural things happening, but in the end there will be a like reasonable scientific explanation for why the things happened. I is think that fair? So. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And I think that's important because it establishes like the rules of the show. And I mm-hmm. feel like if we're living in the true detective world and I don't know season two and three, like I don't have them memorized, but I feel like it's still you still exist in a reality, although there are things that happen by coincidence and happenstance. 
that seem maybe supernatural from like the outside looking in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about who's murdered, and we are essentially going to focus on this facility called the Sala facility. Is the T silent? I think it's Salal. Uh, I okay. think it's a Hebrew word that means to become dark. Okay, you just pulled that out of your brain. Yes, yes. <laughs> I looked there. Very good. It was Very a unique good. word. I had I'm like, there's got to be more meaning. To oh, this. sure. Well, and I'm glad to become dark. That makes sense. They're out in Alaska. They give us like some quick shots of the crew. We've got a younger guy. And honestly, Tom, let me ask you, this is probably, we've been doing this podcast for a long time for various reasons. But the main reason right here is I just want to know if you were given the chance to go live in a facility for... Like, I don't know, a whole year, and you get to make TikTok videos, watch <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Out. You got no other responsibilities. The family, I don't know where they're at. You've, this is your job. Would you take that contract and go live in the middle of nowhere? We don't really know what these guys do, but it doesn't seem like they're working like <laughs> terribly hard. You know, there's a lot of DVDs on that shelf. Tom, would you go. Um, I feel like at a certain point in my life, that would have been a super cool thing. Like before I had a family, before I like kind of had my career and was just like kind of trying to figure it out. Like, I feel like it'd be super cool to do like scientific work in a place like this. I don't do well in the cold, so I don't know how well I would mm. survive here. I might just die from, you know, I'd have, I need 13 blankets when I only had 12. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that seems like a, like a cool little thing. I'm pretty sure you're you would be super excited for this, right? Oh, I'm in right now. I've already sent an application <laughs> to to Salalal. I just have to tell my uh, wife and kids. Um, this is where she's gonna find out. <laughs> yes, that's true. She doesn't listen. She'll find out when I'm on the airplane and uh, I don't show up that day. Anyways, uh, there's. Uh, once again, young guy, there's like people on treadmills. We've kind of got some, some you know, diverse ages and, and people, but it's all men. And then we have this dude shaking in the background, which creeped me out. I did not mm. like. I thought it was going to turn into a zombie outbreak. Yep. Um, and I think he says she's awake, right? Yeah. Super creepy. That's kind of like, yeah, the, the reoccurring thing throughout this when something super creepy happens we get this line of she's awake and if you do like from the context clues we get later in the episode this is raymond clark the guy that they kind of find out later but he actually is wearing that coat that they the uh, coat with the ripped sleeve Mm -hmm. okay from the wearing it previous murder okay Mm -hmm. but this guy you're saying the person that is in this scene his name he's one of the victims and his name is raymond clark Correct. Yeah, he's the okay. one that kind of gets tied to the jacket later on, and that is the character that turns and, and says this. Okay, is he your number one suspect? I mean, I don't know. Suspect and victim? Is he your number one suspect and victim, Tom? I don't know. Let me see his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know it'd be difficult to do. It'd be difficult to podcast without a tongue. I <laughs> would. I think Let's I do could... the rest of our podcast holding our tongues. <laughs> holding our tongues. Oh, man. We just lost most of the audience <laughs> again. All right. We find out that 
this is the disappearance is discovered three days later by a delivery truck guy. This is, by the way, a job I would never do. I would live mm. at the facility and work with a group of people. I would never be the guy that shows up solo and is just like, anybody there? Nope, I'd be out <laughs> so quickly. I would be the only like vendor delivery guy that carries, I don't know, four guns because I'm not walking <laughs> through a facility like this unarmed. I'm certainly not walking through a facility and finding a tongue on the ground. As soon mm. as I see anything that looks remotely suspicious, I'd be like, I'm out. You guys can get your Funyuns next week. I will see you later. I would be Agreed. gone. Agreed. And then, so we get the tongue, and then we get the credits, and we're in. Yeah. I like this uh, credit song. Like, it's Billie Eilish, Bury a Friend, and it's just, like, super, it's, it's a super weird song. The lyrics, like, I think tie very closely to this. And I looked it up. Apparently, Issa Lopez, the showrunner, like, had a lot of influence from this song. I think you can tie some of the lyrics directly from Billie Eilish's uh, song here directly to the show so but i just i just liked it I, I thought it just fit the decor and setup of the show so well see i would never say that because then billy eilish comes after you for a co co-writer credit as well <laughs> as now she's an executive producer on the show so oh, that's why i never tell anyone what inspires me because i don't want them to come after my monies <sighs> anyways we cut to and this is the scene where we're introduced to navarro uh, we're at the crab facility. Uh, there is a like domestic violence incident that happened. I will say that if you're going to uh, hit a guy with a bucket that deserves it, just keep hitting him until he can't get up off the ground, <laughs> uh, especially if he's going to a place of work in order to hit a woman. Um, violence uh, begets violence. That's all I'll mm -hmm. say. Hit him harder with the bucket next time. Sometimes um, it's the answer. <laughs> sometimes war is the answer. Um, I think yeah. we get in, obviously this is the first glimpse of it here, understanding kind of Navarro and, and who she is as a, as a detective and cop and everything, but yeah, she's very similar to the character in our last show that we did a podcast on, A Murder at the End of the World, uh, Darby, where I think she, like, one of her kind of prime objectives is just, like, protecting women and wanting to do everything she can to to protect women. So does so here in this scene, and then is doing everything she can for this cold case that she's she's been uh, investigating yeah a lot of similarities like a strong breeze would have knocked darby over uh navarro would punch a strong breeze in the face and the strong <laughs> breeze would go away so yeah there are some some similarities and some differences between uh navarro and darby and uh i wrote that joke not knowing she was a professional boxer so <laughs> Thank you, comedy gods. Well done. We then meet Jodie Foster. It takes a little while for us to find Jodie Foster in this, I, I noticed. Mm -hmm. I'd actually, I was almost surprised when she when she showed up. I gasped audibly. I went, <gasps> and then surprised as uh, Dwight when Michael ambushes him. <laughs> But then we also have her, I guess, one of her deputies, uh, and he is Hank Pryor, played by, I think the actor's name is John Hawks. I recognized him as Saul from Deadwood. And why does Jodie Foster hate Twist and Shout? 
Yeah, she makes a mention that she's like not a Beatles fan, but she was going at it like super hardcore to take this off. My my thought is this is maybe something that plays into her flashback that she's kind of had. Sure. Potentially like a drunk driving incident. Maybe that song was playing on the radio or something else. But it's also weird in this facility how it's not just Ferris Bueller movie playing over and over again. It's this specific part and this song that's playing over and over again. So again, I'm kind of going back to the potential magnetic fields. Maybe it's playing around with like the electrical equipment. We've got like, you know, flashing light bulbs, all sorts of goofy stuff. So maybe that's got something to play with. I don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about when shows do this. They make like, they make like a song tied directly to like a traumatizing, like it's so black and white that I think you're going to be right. It's going to be like Twist Mm -hmm. and Shout was on the radio when she was in a car wreck or something like that. I don't like when shows do this. I mean, I love the song Freshman by the Verve Pipe. Was I shoved into lockers and given swirlies as a young man (laughs) while listening to that show on my Discman? Sure. I still love that song. While you were a junior. Yeah. (laughs) While I was a junior in college. Yes. I mean, that was still happening to me. But I still love that song, you know? (laughs) I get your joke now. The song's called Freshman. Oh, man, Tom. I'm sorry. You deserve a better host. You deserve a better partner. I will be resigning after this one. You will be doing part two through seven on your own. I have very highbrow humor. It's understandable you missed that one. (laughs) So far over my head. Just like the concepts in the Verve Pipes, The Freshman, uh, Mm -hmm. a song that has so many layers to it. Anyways, uh, the other cop that is in this is Peter. And we, I'm not a detective. I'm sure you figured out very quickly that they were family, father and son. It took me quite a while to figure out the what the relationship line. I was. Like I got it right away. And he's like, like, speak up. Like, that's something you <laughs> oh, say yeah, to your kid. Such a yeah. dad thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, so, oh, that's a dad. And what's so funny is Jodie Foster goes, I can hear him. I can hear. Yeah. She's like trying to protect him. So it, the mm-hmm. dynamic between the three of them is quite funny. And then it is also revealed that Hank must have been like the police chief before she showed up. So she got the job or won an election. I don't know if, you know, like sheriffs are an elected official. I don't know if she's a sheriff. But mm-hmm. I got the sense that Hank had that job previously, right? That's why he has the files and everything. I don't know. It's a good question. I've got plenty of questions about why he has the files. Like, that's still kind of goofy and why okay. they have to kind of steal it from him. I don't know. My guess is that I think he was the one that was running the police force until she moved out there and then she took over. We don't call um, it force anymore. It's too aggressive. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's a great reference. All right. Who funds this place? And by who funds this place, I mean who funds to Salal? So to 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 salad so to okay you say it for now you on that's your responsibility <laughs> just call it the research facility but it's so long and this is i guess handed over to peter peter's got to figure out who which peter just googles he's like all right i'm on it boss let me go ask jeeves what's going on here we find out that it's an Arctic research facility, and someone's like, they're looking for the origin of life. I didn't know whether or not that was a joke or for real. Was this what they were looking for? 
Yeah, I think that's like what a lot of these scientists do in this area because they just drill and you see it later when Jodie Foster's like running through the facility of these big long tubes and these tubes are just ice that they bore thousands or hundreds and thousands of feet or whatever down into the ice and they can pull microbes and that kind of stuff out to be able to like sequence it. That's as far as I know. I don't know any more than that. But like all of this concept of like climate science and biology, like and obviously a research center in the middle of nowhere. I mean, my mind immediately goes to the movie, the thing, right? Like that classic, was it eighties horror movie? Um, John I think Carpenter. even on the DVD rack, you can see the movie, the thing on there. That's right. There is a lot of similarity here. What I don't understand, Tom is, is why are they spending so much time and manpower when we know the answer? Um, my Bible is too far away on the bookshelf over there, but pretty mm. sure Genesis covers, uh, how we all got here 4,000 years ago. So I don't know that we need all these research facilities, but that's a different conversation. Um, <laughs> my Bible's over on the bookshelf right next to my copy of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, what's more important is on the whiteboard, uh, it says we are all dead. And it would have been very pu- funny if uh, Jodie Foster had, like looked at that and been like, well, that's a mistake. And she like erased it. And she just starts looking at all the numbers. There's like temperature readings and all this science on there. And then one guy, I mean, we are all dead. If you get a bunch of dudes into a facility that don't see daylight, there's going to be some jokes on that whiteboard. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, so. I thought she was going to go the other way. Just kind of clap her hands and say, all right, boom, mission, uh, mission solved here. They're all dead. <laughs> They're all dead. I don't get the sense that the, she thinks they're alive from the get-go. So no. um, she gets a look at the native. Uh, okay, they get the look at the tongue. She says this is a native woman's tongue and that there is like uh, scarring on it from licking fishing nets. And mm-hmm. I thought this was Tom is a gumshoe. Did you just did you already know that from when we first saw the tongue? It feels like something you would have picked up on. You're the Sherlock Holmes of our generation. I did not know that specific thing, but I like what they do in this scene of just showing us that uh, Joy Foster is a great detective. Like not only like the licking of the nets and seeing the scarification on the tongue, but she does like apparently she's a big mayonnaise aficionado and knows how long it takes to like melt into bread, the sure. smelly clothes that were in the washer. Like she kind of puts all this stuff together that these other guys have not not done yet so I, I like that showing us that she's a good detective and not just saying oh this is she's the best detective this side of the i was gonna say mississippi but this side of the canadian border sure sure yeah it's there is a i mean a great storytelling device where it's like hey they're gonna look at these details and draw a conclusion it's kind of like i don't know tom if you ever saw it but there's a uh, movie called almost heroes and in it, um, Chris Farley is one of the characters, and he is like a tracker, like a Lewis and Clark, and he sees a buffalo patty on the ground uh, that's hmm. pooped on. What does he do with that buffalo patty? And, and he, he picks it up, and he tastes it. And Matthew Matthew Perry, uh, R.I.P. Matthew Perry, um, who is his uh, cohort, is like... He and and Chris Farley's like, oh, the buffalo herd's over there, and Chris and and Matthew Perry's like, oh, you can tell that from the taste, and he's like, no, I can see the herd, and I mean, <laughs> just very similar kind of Danvers and Chris Farley uh, from Almost uh, Heroes. So Brilliant. you're welcome, Tom. Just uh, those longtime listeners. That's probably the thirteenth time Julian has told that story on this podcast. So uh, 
like every series we've done, Julian's told that story of this silly, silly Chris Farley movie. Uh, and this, so thank you. This thank is you why again. we. This is why we can't sell ad time. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, capitalism. We do this for the love of the game. All right. Somebody, somebody, please uh, tweet or Instagram post us. Let let us know. Do you enjoy Julian retelling the story? Yes or no? Maybe I'll put a poll out there. See if we can get you to stop one, one final time. Listen, if I get enough emails at teambingepodcast at gmail.com asking me to stop telling that story, I'll stop, <laughs> but I won't be happy about it. Uh, all right. Whew. We then cut to a woman gutting a wolf and... Harry, Harry Potter's uh, aunt. Harry Potter's aunt, Petunia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had issues with this scene, but I won't go into why. Um, she hears some weird noise and Travis appears. And did you know Travis was going to be a vision from the get-go? He's not really wearing the right clothes and he's barefoot. So I assumed this was something. Once again, this is like a, this is like a supernatural element that it's tough to deny that the show is not telling us, uh, although hallucinations exist. So Mm -hmm. is Petunia just like, should she be on medication? I don't know. Like what? This was this was kind of the most supernatural thing that I felt the show presented to us, right? Yeah, I almost feel, and I don't know, maybe I'm getting this, getting ahead of myself. Tom, like Tom, 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 go. Tell me mm-hmm. how you feel. Mm-hmm. Tell me, Thank give you. me those feelings. Thank Pass you. them over here. Um, that she is potentially being drawn to find these bodies, just like these guys were drawn to wherever they did, why they did. Like maybe they had hallucinations in their effects were different but they were still drawn to the same place it's interesting that she's being drawn there as well but she's okay. just a different means for her and we're seeing it from her perspective but yeah I, I would tend to agree like he's not there when i saw him barefoot i'm like okay this person is a hallucination sure sure that i was like oh that guy's really acclimated to this climate he's like <laughs> he's like that one that survivor show where there was like the technical gear guy and then there was the hippie dude that went barefoot everywhere this guy's Ooh, the hippie yeah. dude that goes barefoot everywhere. That Dual show, survival. What was it called? Dual survival. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Wasn't Cody like Lundin. Two, that was no. a dude without the feet. I'm pretty uh, sure well, he like had feet. Two, the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, my feet are never cold. They're like, you don't have any. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, there's uh, what was the sign, Tom? We then get a picture of a sign. It is kind of funny. They're like going into this Enos, Alaska, and there's a sign that says "Welcome to the End of the World," which is just very funny because it uh, again ties to the last show that we just did, the FX uh, show "A Murder at the End of the World." And I think this series was also filmed in Iceland, which is where that show took place. So a lot of connections and tie-ins here, and we're doing these shows back to back. My prediction, Tom, is that all of these facility guys put on motorcycle helmets that were then uh, attached their neck in suff- such a way that they suffocated. Hey, and don't then the ruin murder... it. Don't ruin it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> all I'm going to say is one word, Tom. Hack. They've okay. all been hacked. Mm-hmm. That's several words. Hacking. The <laughs> activity of hacking is why everyone's dead. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, uh, we have a scene with Navarro and Danvers. They don't get along. There's clearly a history here. That history will unravel. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, ultimately, these two are going to be working together on this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but this brings up an old cold case that they worked on together, and this is Annie Kotok, who was a uh, native who was murdered, and they could never saw it. 
and apparently she was missing her tongue, and the tongue that they find in the facility, we discover, belongs to her, correct? I don't know if we do with any certainty, but it is too odd to for that to be a coincidence. So, But I don't think they've blatantly told us at this point. Sure. Okay. I'm going to very quickly uh, brush over the next part of the show, which felt uncomfortable, and uh, I just don't feel qualified enough to talk about it, but we have some parenting woes with a teenage daughter that Danvers is handling, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's probably some life lessons in this conversation. I'll let the parents that watch the show determine what it is. Uh, We then witness a drunk driver, and this is apparently much like in the uh, highly comical... Um, old TV show where there's a town drunk that the uh, sheriff arrests every day and puts in jail. Uh, this one's not played to its comedy, although it kind of is. Some, someone's in the balcony is like, hey, is that so-and-so again? Are they drunk? <laughs> I don't know. I thought this was interesting that the, uh, although drunk driving's not funny. So I'll stop laughing and just say, no. Danners arrests this woman again, it seems like, multiple times. <laughs> Yeah, she kind of knew when she kind of got out of the car who this was and what her past was. But we get more of like the haunted past of Danvers' character. And I think even as she's like taking footsteps towards the accident, she like it does a quick cut of like seemingly her as a kid, like her feet walking on glass or something. So again, all this is pointing to she certainly has probably some sort of uh, bad accident in the past that's going to kind of drive her her motivations. Well, we'll get to this later, but I hope you're okay with talking about it now. We find out that her daughter, uh, who is Leia Danvers, is not her kid. So I kind of got the sense that maybe she like adopted that child because that child was involved in some sort of like accident and that's where that comes from did i kind of make that up in my mind did i jump to a conclusion i thought there was a mention of maybe like a husband or like her not being the the mom and something about a dad but i also feel like potentially she might have lost a child too because like when she's like i'm kind of dreaming or having that little like nightmare or whatever she gets like a hand like a child's hand that kind of goes on her shoulder so yeah, I don't, I don't know, and I don't mean there's no real reason for us to speculate because I'm sure the show's gonna kind of tell us what's going on. I think the important thing is just she has a haunted past, and it's certainly weighing on her. And we'll get more as the series goes on. Sure, sure. Yeah, at this point, it's all guesswork, but mm-hmm. I'm using my TV brain to try and guess what they're telling us. Yeah. We have Navarro, who meets up with Ryan, who was Annie, the cold case's victim's brother. Um, and there's some conversations about like what Annie was into in terms of she was an activist. There's also apparently a mine that is the whole reason this town exists and where mm-hmm. most of the people work. He does mention a brief detail, which I caught because Tom, I'm always listening. I'm a great listener. <laughs> Ask uh, any of the several people I've been married to and divorced to. I'm a great listener. <laughs> Um, I listen to myself talk all the time. It's fabulous. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people are saying I'm the best at it. Uh, (laughs) But uh, the water, he mentions the water turned bad three days ago because Navarro doesn't want a beer. She wants water. Mm -hmm. So that timeline, 
adds up, right? Not necessarily yeah, a coincidence. Matching up with our shenanigans that happened on the third dark day in the Is that what we're, that's what we're calling it? We're calling it an Irish party shenanigans when eight <laughs> dudes got murdered? Sure. All right. I'm sure they I'm sure their memory would appreciate that, Tom. How dare you? How mm. dare you? Shenanigans? Someone say shenanigans? <laughs> uh, all right. Um there is a conversation where someone asks, do you believe in God? Which is funny because... Go in, on, go on. Why is it funny? season one of True Detective in the first episode, Woody Harrelson in like, I don't know, the first 15 minutes is, is when uh, Matthew McConaughey has kind of opened his brain and is explaining mm-hmm. his bleak worldview... Uh, Woody Harrelson's like, you're a Christian, right? And he goes, no. Matthew McConaughey says, no. And Woody Harrelson's like, well, you have a cross in your apartment. And he goes, oh, that's just a meditation technique. And anyways, all of this blows <laughs> Woody Harrelson's mind. Um, and so I do think it's funny that this show is like, that conversation is always kind of in in play in terms of the mm-hmm. supernatural, like, is there hope? Why are we here? In fact, Woody asks Matthew McConaughey that he goes, you know, then what of all, what is all of this for? And mm-hmm. so it's interesting that that conversation is also had in the first episode of this season. Well, and Navarro's response is like, yes, she believes in God, but then she also feels like we're all alone, right? Right. Like, was that her right. response? Yeah. And we get this, and he says, like, why do you believe? And we have this flashback of a severely wounded soldier. So Navarro, being a vet. And mm-hmm. someone who should not probably be walking and talking uh, hmm. is whispering something to Navarro. And so I'm sure we'll get more of that that um, that backstory. I'm interested to see where that goes. And uh, when we meet that half-headed wounded soldier, I think that'll <laughs> be an interesting character. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We also find that... Who's Jules's sister? I think is this is where Navarro, Jules, she the goes sister? to... Yeah, that's, it's uh, her sister, and they kind of have a quick little conversation. I think her sister is maybe battling some mental illness, and maybe her mom did too. Um, but yeah, again, this is just kind of showing us the sister dynamic between them and, and how she's kind of looking after her. Uh, we don't really know much much about it quite yet. Right. Once again, this is the show being like, hey, Navarro had it rough. Guess what? Even rougher. The mom probably had mental illness. She's dealing with a sister that has mental illness. And mm. I don't want to make light of those things, but the show is really laying it on that no one in this town's having a good time. No one's <laughs> dusty slaying it. The comedian, they're not having a good time. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's a reference for one person. Um <laughs> Stacy Chalmers is the drunk driver, and she is yelling in the drunk tank at the police station. Uh, we see Hank's about to like let her go or like take her home or something. So yeah. we get the sense that Hank is not a real for a police guy, not a real mm-hmm. rules follower. No, for sure. There's a little bit too, and it's played to comedy where um, what's what's the son? Is it Peter? Peter, He's going to yeah. like tell uh, Danvers who's funding this, but we never actually get it like because they keep getting interrupted by her yelling. And I feel like that's probably going to be a big uh, to know is who else is funding this, this site. Oh, you think when he's like, oh, and I also found out, and then they get interrupted, and he's like, oh, I got to tell you this. I found out that, and then they get interrupted. 
and then it's like I think the killer is and then Pete dies you don't think that's a story device that the show is really slapping us in the face with I think um, yeah we find out that Hank has the co-talk file and he acts like he doesn't so we are instantly as my children and I like to shout at each other while we play Among Us we definitely think <laughs> that we'll say it together Tom we think that Hank is very Sus. Sus. Nice. We did it. Uh, First time. You couldn't you couldn't tell who said it. We were so in <laughs> sync. Um we also find out that uh Hank has dated the drunk driving Stacy, and that mm-hmm. also he very legitimately has a Russian fiance on her way mm-hmm. across the boat, probably mm-hmm. avoiding the draft in that terrible, <laughs> terrible act of aggression. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm again, interested I don't to find remember. more about, about Hank. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Hank, I really liked him in Deadwood. I'm fascinated to find out more about him in this. Yeah, I like him. I think he plays a fantastic, like, character actor. Like, he's, I, I just don't get what he's doing here. Like, they, they mentioned that there was, like, a flood in the office, so he had to take these. Like, that, to me, seems like somebody tampering with evidence and wanting to take all these boxes to their house. Like, clearly they don't belong there, and the place isn't flooded now, so I don't understand why... He's holding on to these and seemingly protective of them. Exactly. Exactly. He is a kid trying to lie to their parent. He's just making up all these sad excuses. And, you know, mm-hmm. once again, super sus. <laughs> Anyways, we find out that uh, Pete is married, has a child. They have a young daughter, I believe. Um, he is married to uh, a native and a local. I'm sure those dynamics are going to... like. I'm not trying to just point that out because I, <laughs> I think there's any issue with it, but I think the show is trying to like paint the dynamics between mm-hmm. um, the different cultures. And so um, also this child is going to grow up to probably murder eight dudes in a facility just based on this drawing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good drawing, all things considered. Have you ever had your kid like draw something that seemed very inappropriate? I feel like my son has done that before. No idea what they're doing, but I'm like... Maybe we don't use that color. Um, I've had my child draw like something that we'll just say was like very phallic in nature, and you've got to be like, all right, that one's not. That one's gonna go on the fridge in the garage, you know. Uh, not to brag about the garage fridge, but um, and it's not magnetized. It's, no deal, man. So. it's, it's something that like three uh, percent of kids have. No big deal. Exactly. Um. She bites him, um, and I wrote that because it's important to know that Pete's wife bites him, and he says, ow, and he seems surprised. So, Tom, are we in a vampire show? Is this going to get vampire on us? Yeah, I mean, it could. I mean, I feel like they were getting pretty aggressive with their young child in the other room. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yes. Yes. I'd like to make a joke. But everyone was like, there's a kid right there. What are you? This is irresponsible. Yeah, you don't Um, bite people with kids so close. Yeah, no wonder that kid's making those drawings. Mm -hmm. She goes to school. She's like, this is mommy and daddy wrestling. And the teacher's (laughs) like, why has dad got bite marks on his neck? And she's like, oh, mommy's a vampire. Anyways, it's all weird. Uh, Pete, (laughs) I feel like, listen, I'm not going to... Tom, I would never cast dispersions. I would never judge anyone. But Pete does not make the right choice here. Just let the phone go to voicemail. 
he just wrong choice. Hmm. Instead, he's got to go run a errand for Danvers, and I like how you no sold that. You were just like, huh? Okay. Um, <laughs> so Pete has to go visit his dad to get the file. Uh, I found this scene a little bit more stressful than I think it was kind of played for laughs, but I Mm -hmm. found it a little bit stressful. Tom, have you ever broken into your father's office and stolen files from him? No, not my father. My my brother's all the time, but yeah, never my dad. Smart, smart, Mm -hmm. smart, smart. Actually, aren't you the one that people are typically breaking into your home to steal important documents so that they can send them to you so that you can go on a cruise? Uh, did I forget my passport <laughs> on an international cruise? Yes. Did I need somebody to break into my house to send me copies of my birth certificate? Yes. Did I get on that cruise ship because my friend broke into my house? I sure did. Yes. That's what friends are for. Uh, and you had a great time. You limbo, mm-hmm. the limbo champion of the <laughs> 2021 Caribbean cruise. Um, all right. He, you get the sense that Pete and Hank are not like real chummy father son, right? I don't know what their backstory is going to be, but Pete clearly cares more about Danvers' opinion of him than his father's opinion. Did is is well, Hank I a dirty like cop? Pete, Do you get that sense that Hank might be dirty? I think that's kind of where it is. Like Peter's or Pete is more like straight laced and wanting to do the right thing, whereas Hank has been there for a long time. Maybe feels slighted by Danvers and is just a little bit more. I wouldn't say like corrupt or anything, but yeah, I think Pete's just trying to do right by by Danvers, who he maybe respects a little bit more as a detective or officer. Sure, sure. Now Alina, the Russian bride, likes blue paint and. It's very blue. This was all very funny. Um, it's more before he's blue. <laughs> okay, I'm colorblind. Thanks for rubbing it in my face. Um, my question to you is: Anytime murders has ha- have happened, murders has happened, and someone paints rooms, and there's a bunch of like plastic up on windows, makes me a little suspicious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little sus. I hear you. What is, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that term. Tom, what do you mean when you say sus? Uh, I think it stands for, s- I don't know, I don't know anything else starts with sus. It's suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I, got I got no improv there. Uh, yes, and. All right. Give me, so, give me another word that starts with sus. Uh, Go. Sushi? I don't know. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically. Sushi? Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Uh, the words are there. The pronunciation isn't. Let's move on. We steal the Kotak file, and we have the lady continuing to follow Travis, who's not real. Uh, Pete and Danvers talk about the case, and this is where we get the backstory. So it's the Annie mm-hmm. K case, which stands for Kotak. She was stabbed 32 times, which just sounds terrible. And she was missing her tongue, and she was a midwife activist and protester. And this all made me very sad. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, this is where we find... Because, like, Navarro's not in this scene, right? It's just uh, Pete and uh, Danvers kind of talking about it. But it kind of gives us the flashbacks of Navarro kind of walking up on this scene, and you understand why this has kind of hit her so hard and why she wants to try to solve this case. Sure. And we have a name thrown out here... That is Kate McKittrick, which mm-hmm. I guess she, I think she mentioned she's like part of the mine, 
we don't know what her role is or what, but she's part of the company that runs the mine, right? Yeah, I feel like this is just a name drop and we're going to get more of this character. She'll be a suspect or she'll be maybe one of the people funding this facility. Who knows? But I think they make mention that like Annie showed up at her house like demanding answers about you know, again, stuff going on at the mind, whatever else it is. So we'll, we'll certainly get more of this character. Sure. Sure. Yeah. A lot of this, like the, the mine company, the people that operate very much like in the vein of justified, which stars Timothy Oliphant, who also starred in Deadwood, which had Saul played by John Hawks, who played Hank Pryor in it. Boom. Five degrees of Kevin Bacon. I just played it by myself. You all are really, welcome. Well done. Yeah. This scene does end with Jodie Foster checking her fantasy football. Now, I don't know if she actually is checking your fantasy football. I feel no, like she's diverting. She's definitely I, not. I want to ask you, man, how did your fantasy football season end? So where we left people, because we've gotten a lot of emails about this. Everyone was <laughs> like, Julian, you know, we know you're great at it and you're the best. And you told us. Uh, we'll just say two years in a row, I have been in the championship mm-hmm. and I have not been the champion. So, <laughs> um, draw from those details, draw whatever conclusions you'd like to, mm-hmm. um, but I can't believe you brought it up. We'll take an <laughs> ad break here so that I can go cry, um, and, uh, talk, talk, look at the draft for next year for next year (laughs) uh speaking of drafts for next year we have a scene where two people i was going to try and because we're a podcast for children obviously i was going to Mm -hmm. try and say make love but there's not any affection or love involved in this, uh, we'll just say, transaction. Which they're, they're ferociously jumping. They are exercising uh, together as a team. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> once again, this is like, I don't know, call me a romantic, but like the bleakness of this just being kind of a mechanical... Like, there's no affection, there's no, I don't know. I just, I was like, okay, I got it, show. It's bleak. Like, uh, anyways. Uh, What isn't bleak is that she (laughs) uses, his name is Quavik, Quavik, Mm -hmm. I think. And uh, Mm -hmm. he has a a SpongeBob toothbrush, which I thought was a great detail. Yeah, not only does she use it, but she steals it afterwards. I mean, she's a thief. Yeah. How great would it be if he reported her and she got arrested for... um, (laughs) Having her way with him and then stealing his toothbrush. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'd like to watch. I'd like to watch the Netflix documentary about that criminal uh, who goes around and, anyways, steals. Well, she's toothbrushes. trying to collect them all. She already has like Patrick and I don't know. Name another character from that series. The pineapple under the sea, I believe, mm-hmm. is the third character. <laughs> uh, Squidward, maybe. Is there you there go. Someone That's named one. Squidward. Uh, and then there's Pikachu. cheeseburgers that uh, don't get soggy, even though they're under the water. Uh, my generation missed that cartoon, and so did my children. Ask me anything about Bluey, and I'm in on it, though. All right. <laughs> we have a conversation between the daughter and Danvers. Once again, her name is Leia. And this is where I pointed out there, like, she took her in. She is not her biological mother. 
mm-hmm. um, and so we don't know what the situation is. But there was also there's also mention of a drunk driving incident. Yeah, and again, I don't know. We could speculate on it, but I don't think we need to. We're, we'll figure it out in, in subsequent episodes. Sure. We see Navarro once again committing a crime. She <laughs> spikes the domestic violence guy's truck, which, I mean, a lot of those trucks look the same. Some mm-hmm. nice guy that is, you know, uh, a family man that pays his taxes, goes out to his truck the next morning, and it won't start because it's full of... <laughs> Bailey's. Uh, beer Bailey's that's what it was Bailey's I thought Bailey's Irish cream was a strange choice to pour into um but I guess if you poured tequila into it it'd just run better so mm-hmm. who knows Navarro gets oh she's she's talking to someone on the phone or she's calling someone someone mm-hmm. calls her I can't and then we conversation was we get a one-eyed yelling. polar bear that's all that's all that's all this happens right here just normal everyday one-eyed polar bear well, not so. I think it's cutting between Danvers having like her dream or nightmare. Where again, we get that kind of creepy child hand going over her, very horror movie style. And then she wakes up and picks up this little stuffed animal. It's a stuffed animal of a polar bear with a missing eye. And then, not like you know, seen later, we get Navarro on the radio. The radio kind of freaks out. You can hear again. It says she's awake, seemingly coming from the radio. And then now a real-life polar bear is standing right in front of her with the same left eye missing. So super weird, super creepy, and, like, I'm in for it. Like, I love this kind of mystery. It's just bonkers. Was the polar bear real? That's a fair point, right? Maybe maybe the polar bear is uh, just like Rose was kind of... uh, maybe hallucinating the Travis and, and finding the bodies. Maybe this is her hallucinating this, this bear. Who knows? Well, it's Navarro that sees the bear, right? Navarro. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are there polar bears in Alaska? Tom? That is, <laughs> there's definitely polar bears in Alaska. Yes. They okay. There. Okay. I thought we'd burned enough rubber tires to get rid of them, but you're telling me they're still around. All right. I don't like I think polar bears are coming into cities are like, yeah, these villages a lot more often than they used to because they are hungry. Golly. <sighs> Sorry, I've done my best. I've burned enough diesel. I was trying to <laughs> keep them away, but I guess they're still they're still around. We'll uh, get them one of these days. Just like we got those baby seals. <laughs> just like we just we got those baby seals and those dodo birds. Those dumb <laughs> dumb dodo birds. And the dinosaurs. We got rid of them. They weren't allowed on the ark. And that's where they <laughs> Anyways. Uh, ooh. All right. We don't condone clubbing baby seals. Let's just let's just put that out there. Nope, just Cover burning ourselves. fossil fuels until they ask you to club them. Boom. <laughs> Thank you. Write that joke down. I'm super proud of it. All right. Play it at my funeral. Tom, we're going to get the classic pictures on the floor detective uh, scene here where Jodie Foster is like, I don't believe in cork boards or yarn, mm. so we're just going to lay these on the floor. <laughs> And that's where she starts detectiving uh, jackets and ripped patches and all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she connects the case. But like the first thing that me and my wife notice is like her printing out all these pictures on a printer. I can't get a printer to print like normal, regular ink. And she's getting these beautiful quality pictures. So very far-fetched already in this scene. Um, but the way she like creates a circle around her, I feel like she was mixing up pictures from this case and the other case very disorganized but uh i don't know she got uh, she got what she needed tom i don't want to give too much of my personal life uh out on this 
podcast that's heard by tens and tens of people. But I was talking to a guy, we'll call him an engineer, who worked at a large organization that makes printers. And Mm -hmm. he was telling me that he was like in charge and did work um, creating and designing the arms and stuff that make the paper go through a printer. And as he was explaining this to me, I wanted to be like, so you're the guy that we should all be yelling about or yelling at because those things never work. In fact, there's a printer to my right in this office right now where someone in my house uh, ripped the paper out and broke the arm and now it's unusable. So mm-hmm. uh, I just... Our printer's a paperweight in our house. Yes. Doesn't work. I can't... Got full ink, won't, won't print anything. We can... I mean, space isn't real, so I was going to say we put... Like, we allegedly put a man on the moon, and yet <laughs> we can't get a printer to print correctly. What's going on? We used to be a country that lied about putting people on the moon. Anyways, we have... Tom? Mm-hmm. I stole this from my spouse. We have an interpretive dance. Um, oh, those that was of you, immediately what I thought of. Yeah. Those of you that are playing the Team Binge drinking game where we bring up interpretive dance, drink. Because <laughs> Travis is doing an interpretive dance and this lady... He's after it. He's uh, after it. Who we find out is named Rose uh, Agano. Uh, man, why did I nail that name and I haven't gotten any of the other <laughs> names right? Anyways... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he does an interpretive dance, which leads to them finding the bodies. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if we have the software to do this, but if we could just edit this scene and play it on a loop on our Twitter, uh, Tom, <laughs> I, I think it would be worth our time. Mm-hmm. You guys got some great moves. I'm going to, I'm going to remember those from the next wedding I go to. Incredible moves. I thought he was going to kick, um, the guy from karate kid in the face. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's anyways. So, uh, I wrote Navarro and Danvers. What am I, what was I trying to say? Yeah, so Danvers, she goes back to the facility, and then Navarro's already there kind of doing her own detective work. And I just want to call that, like, I feel like this is the second time we've had Danvers being very harsh on, like, Navarro and her, like, culture and beliefs, uh, which just kind of seems odd, like, why she'd be so harsh when she has, like, an adopted or, or native daughter. Um, I don't, I don't understand that, but I'm yeah, sure she, more. she says something snide, like, oh, did the spirits talk to you or yeah. something like that, which honestly, we got some spirits talking to Rose leading to some dead bodies. So maybe <laughs> yeah. pump the brakes on the supernatural there, Danvers. Mm-hmm. Have mm-hmm. you seen a one-eyed polar bear? I have. So have the people from <laughs> Lost. That's a show. So, uh, they check Raymond Clark's room. And they find nothing, but this gives them the opportunity to talk about the Annie K case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like not really deep diving because, well, this is like Devaro's thoughts. Like they didn't really deep dive into this case because she wasn't a white girl. Um, instead, again, kind of playing at the, the concept of kind of Jodie Foster and um, I can't remember the actress's name, um, but kind of like their different cultural backgrounds and, and how they are treated differently. Sure, sure. Which is interesting because we're doing this when um, the movie uh, Killers of a Flower Moon is coming out. And if you haven't read that book or watched that movie, there's like just the mistreatment of native people 
Um, I don't know. It feels relevant to what this show is pointing out and what Navarro Mm -hmm. is making the case for in this conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. We get some calls from dispatch. Rose Agano finds something, and Travis is the one that I think Navarro has a conversation with her where she's like, How did you know? And she's like, Travis showed me. And she's like, Travis is dead. And which I was, I mean, I audibly gasped. I was like, I can't <laughs> believe this Ted Nugent looking fella barefoot in Alaska. <laughs> Uh, wasn't, you know, alive and dancing well. You know, if you move your body like that, that body warmth is probably going to keep you alive, even in those cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. So this leads to us finding several frozen bodies, and they all look great. They look like they died peacefully. They look like they were, I don't know, just really living their best lives before they died. Right, Tom? Yeah, this was haunting. Like, they're half-buried, they seem to be like scared or screaming, like holding their faces or trying to protect themselves. Like this was such a brutal image. And I don't know. I mean, this we, we just see three guys here. We don't know if this is all of them, if this is some of them. But for this to happen in three days and then buried this far, like there's some shenanigans going on. And it was, I think, a super, super good cliffhanger for a pilot. Like I certainly want to know more. Sure. Now, Tom, you took it as scared and screaming. I took it as like, I don't know if you've ever seen like a crowd when a celebrity walks by. Like I took it as like maybe these guys were big BTS fans and Mm. the BTS guys walked by and then they were frozen in ecstasy, essentially. They're doing Um, the Alaska tour. Yes, exactly. (laughs) BTS touring Alaska. Uh, well-known thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm I'm certainly interested. Uh, typically, when we do shows like this, Tom, we make predictions. I think you and I are probably aligned, and we have the the killer uh, already nailed down. So, on three, we'll say who we think it is. One, two, three. Global Peter. warming. Oh, you said Peter. Peter yeah. mm-hmm. Pryor. Yeah, the double P P P as they call Peter. him. Peter, Big Peter Pee-Pee? Eater. His yep. nickname, Big Pee-Pee? Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Had a tongue and couldn't eat her. Oof, wow. I, I, don't don't, <laughs> I don't like any of that. I don't like, I don't like your joke or my joke. <laughs> so let's keep it in. Uh, I feel like, well, let me just say this. So in the first season of True Detective, really, I mean, it's obviously it's a murder mystery kind of thing, but this isn't, I don't think this is the type of show where we're trying to figure out who done it. I feel like it's just more of, like following along for the ride because the first season it was just like a random person right it wasn't somebody that we could have discerned as the killer well they take you on a ride you meet the killer early on but it's Mm -hmm. like a throwaway scene but what they do in the pilot is they almost try to bring it on matthew mcconaughey because Mm -hmm. like they're doing the interview where he looks like a i don't know hobo and disheveled Yes, disheveled, good. Mm-hmm. Um, which is tough to do because Matthew Mahoney is uh, uh, a specimen. So sheveled. So, so sheveled. So sheveled. <laughs> I'm a little sheveled. Um, and so they do do that, but you're right. In this one, I mean, this is a this is setting up the scene. There's no like, hey, it was probably this. So that's why I'm going with global warming. Um, but. Tom, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna officially go. I'm gonna think it's the thing from the movie from John Carpenter's <laughs> from the, the thing. thing. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fair. That's fair. Um, 
here's where I'm at. I think it will ultimately be... Like, I don't want it to be supernatural. I know that this show kind of throws those elements in. Obviously, Travis is dead, so there's some... Like, she saw a vision, which... I don't know. There are documented things if you listen to, like, old... How uh, how did this... Not how did this get made. Old... <laughs> Like, there are people that had dreams that didn't make sense that led to something. So, like, mm-hmm. I can accept that. Um, I hope it's not like a demonic polar bear is running around with one eye, <laughs> with no depth perception, killing scientists. Uh, he really hates science. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm interested. It moved well. Once I got past the CGI caribou, I, you know, I was in and having watched the thing recently for the first time, the uh, Kirk Douglas, no, not Kirk Douglas, um, the other Kirk, uh, Russell, Kurt Russell, thank you, John Carpenter movie, like people in a facility out in the middle of nowhere in the dark, it's all fascinating. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see where the show goes. So. Um, yeah, and it's a relatively short season. I think there's only six episodes, which I mean, I'm I'm all for. Like, get in, tell your story, and get out. Sure, 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 sure. Like a British show, mm-hmm. and then maybe they'll get canceled because someone will go on strike three episodes in, and we'll just be told who the killer is via email. <laughs> Speaking of email, you can reach out to us at teambingepodcast at gmail dot com. If you don't think it's the thing or global warming, you have some other theory. We'd love to hear them. We'll talk about them on the show, as often mm-hmm. we do. Uh, we appreciate those of you that have stuck with us through the break. Uh, we have done other shows. Uh, we started with Ted Lasso, and then we did shows such as... Tom, help me out here. I don't remember you don't what remember you and I have talked catalog? about. No, not at uh, all. I think we did maybe the Andy Griffith show. Yes? <laughs> No. Uh, Ted Lasso, we did The After Party, Outer Range, 1899, Silo, Murder at the End of the World, Last of Us, regrettably, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Golly, uh, so we got a lot of fun terrible. shows and a lot of fun mix where we do these kind of deep dive episodes. So if you watched any of those seasons and you enjoyed our conversation now, uh, please go check them out. This uh, has some Outer Range vibes to it, right? The kind of yeah. mix of super <laughs> and then the CGI'd animals. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I bring that up when I was talking about all oh, those buffalo and that bear? Could, could be in the same universe. Who knows? Uh, uh, but you can true. also follow us on the socials, uh, Twitter and Team Bin- or excuse me, Twitter and Instagram at Team Binge or at Team Binge Podcast, and continue the conversation there. And again, a show like this that has a lot of mystery. It's fun to go with the audience and kind of talk through it. Also fun to have a show that gives us a week to kind of talk, talk through it. We're back to the old school, like Sunday night prime or premiere HBO television, uh, which I dig. I agree. I agree. Now, Tom, when you said Twitter, did you mean X? No, I meant Twitter. Okay. Got it. All <laughs> right. Well, we will see you next week. And what we like to do is have Tom guess at what the next episode is called. This episode mm-hmm. of course was called part one. Tom, what is next week's episode of True Detective colon Dark Country called? Uh, Night Country, and it's True Detective Night Country Part 3. Nice. That's good. I think they're going to just do odd numbers. Just odd numbers. We'll see. And then in two years, they'll release the even numbers, and it'll (laughs) all make sense. I have been Julian. And I have been Gumchu Tom. Till next time, everybody.